0: Hey family, my name is Eddie. I'm the lead pastor of Grace Covenant Church in Sterling. Thank you for being with us this morning. Um, This is a unique occasion. Normally we would be at Dominion High School, uh, so I appreciate your flexibility. Uh, We are doing our best. Uh, I'm working with the leaders of Grace Covenant Church uh, as a a larger body to try and make sure that we respond to the issues of the coronavirus with uh, both faith and wisdom. So I appreciate you being with us in spirit and online this morning. This is a pivotal pivotal moment in the church for us to show the the faith and the love of Christ in practical ways to the people around us. So I just want to encourage you to love your neighbor, love them well, um, be patient towards others, be loving towards others, be kind, and and continue to pray that God would would allow us to be a light in this in this season. Today I wanted to ask the question: What does it look like for us to engage the world with faith? And I feel like it's a it's a pretty Legitimate question for for today. There there are a lot of ways that we we have an opportunity to engage the world with faith. Um, I was riding an Uber recently, and I had the opportunity of just beginning to share some of my story with the driver, and, and I had an opportunity to pray with them, and and just shared about Jesus Christ. and And sometimes that's what it is. It's just, it's an opportunity to share the testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in history. We we have an opportunity to talk about His life, His death, and His resurrection, um, and and Sometimes it involves uh, addressing felt needs you know we're we're fairly involved at the the Nova Campus uh, Northern Virginia Community College at our Nova Campus and we've been able to support them by providing uh, things to their their pantry and so we've tried to pursue the people there by by addressing their felt needs but sometimes uh, there are moments in our lives in our own personal lives in the lives of those around us and really in the world where we have to address the world and we have to address those around us, or our own souls, um, with, with more than just uh, sharing the good news. We need to, uh, in a sense, make war. And so today I wanted to look at what, what Paul and what God has to say to us about making war. So if you will go in your Bible with me, we're going to be reading out of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 6. This is Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 6. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. Paul says this, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I'm present, I may not have to show the boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against those who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh. They're not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have given us your gospel that you have given us your Son, Jesus Christ, who embodies this gospel, that that through his perfect life of, of obedience, by his sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross, and then by his victorious resurrection from the dead, we are able to walk by faith in victory with you. And Lord, we thank you that, that the things that, that militate against your truth, the lies that would try and uh, suggest that we have to earn your favor, that we have to particularly live a particular way, that we have to do other things beyond trusting in you and walking in that trust, Lord, that the gospel, it comes against those things. So, Father, would you help us to live more fully in alignment with your gospel truth? Would you help us to, to hold more closely to Jesus Christ? Would you help us to walk more fully following our Lord Jesus? Help us to do so in the world in such a way that we might be able to say to the world and those who would um, set themselves against Christ that God is in control, that Jesus is Lord, and that we trust Him. We trust you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Sorry. So, Paul is in this situation in in 1 Corinthians where he's addressing a number of uh, issues that they've uh, made to him. Uh, there was actually a letter that came before this one um, where, where Paul was interacting. And, and there were some bad things happening in, in Corinth that he was having to address. And he has heard some things that they have said. He's heard that there are, there's this group of people he, he refers to as the, the super apostles. And he's being somewhat facetious or sarcastic about it. Who are really endangering the Corinthians of believing uh, a, an alternative gospel message. There are those who are calling into question his own ministry. And so in chapter 10, we see Paul begin to defend his ministry against people who would try and attack his ministry. And it's not just about Paul's ministry, because the reality is Paul is, he is, his ministry is tied directly to the gospel that he received. And so Paul is not just defending, well, I am an apostle and, and you need to follow me, but he's, he's defending the fact that God has given him a gospel message that he has been a witness to and, and, um, given testimony to. So those who would try and attack Paul, he sees them in, in effect attacking Paul's message, which is the gospel, the good news of God's salvation. So this is the situation we see, and we see some of that language reflected in verses 1 and 2. He says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you, and he goes on to say, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. There's a sense that he's, he's not really saying that he is bold when they're away, when he's away, and he's humble when he's present, although he is humble, and we'll, we'll see that in a moment. He is humble when he's present, but he's, he's pointing to the fact that some people have been saying some things about him and his ministry that oh Paul, you know he, he's a big talker, but when he's with us he's, he's quiet and he's weak and he's meek and he's, he's not very impressive and, and he writes these letters but but the reality he, he isn't he isn't impressive he doesn't speak with great rhetoric, he doesn't speak with uh, g- great persuasiveness and so they're calling into question his ministry and so he says, I beg you." that when I'm present, I don't have to show you the kind of boldness uh, that I'm going to have to show these other guys. He, he's really kind of saying, I'm going to I'm gonna have to express some seriousness towards these people who are they are not just being mean. It's not just about uh, calling Paul a bad guy. It's about calling into question the, the only good news that Paul has about, about God's salvation, the only way to salvation through Jesus Christ. And so he sees this as a gospel attack and something that he will have to be bold about towards his opponents and he's he's begging the Corinthians please hear me with meekness with gentleness don't make me have to speak to you in the same way that I'll have to speak to them. See Paul's ministry was actually characterized by by meekness and, and he expresses it in 1 Corinthians when he says this it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 6. And I when I came to you brothers did not uh, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with, with lofty speech or with wisdom. There was this sense that that uh, presenting messages, um, the truthfulness of the message was dependent upon the, the way that it was communicated. If you communicated well, then, then it was to be believed or it, it, was, it, was, it carried more persuasive power than, than maybe the way that Paul had presented itself. Uh, and so Paul is saying, you know what, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So he says, my my um, testimony to you, my ministry to you, was really to know Jesus, to speak Jesus, to explain Jesus to you, uh, to to show the love of Jesus to you, not to show how awesome I am, not to show how excellently I can speak, not to show how 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 much cares, charisma that I can I can move in but to really show that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is valuable, Jesus is the one. And he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear, with much trembling, and my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so you see almost immediately in really 1 Corinthians that Paul is already having to push against this current of, if it's shiny, if it's new, if it, if it looks good, then it is good. And he's saying, no, 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 the gospel is good because the content of the gospel is good. So he's he's saying uh, that he is not walking according to the flesh. The the people who were against him had said, um, this guy, he's walking according to the flesh. Now, for the world, this idea of walking according to the flesh really looks like walking in your own strength. And there are those who, who are walking well and those who are walking poorly. And they, when they saw Paul who was probably a man of, of short stature. He was, he was not tall. Uh, it's likely that he, he was bent over because of the, the struggles that he had gone through, uh, being beaten and bruised and hurt. Um, he, he was not a handsome guy. And, and, and even in, your, in the language, you can hear that he was not necessarily the happiest guy or the most pleasant guy. And so they clearly were saying that according to our standard of, of what it looks like, you're, you, Paul, are walking according to the flesh. And he says, no, 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 you guys have it backwards. Um, I am not working according to the flesh. He's focusing on the gospel and working according to the Spirit. And he even says in verse one, "I, I, I'm, I'm entreating you. I'm begging you with the meekness and the gentleness of Christ." And now, how many of you know that Jesus was a man who walked in meekness and gentleness? Now, if you go out and go onto the world and and uh, if you go on the internet and Google greatness, what you probably won't see is. Mother Teresa, now maybe you will, but most likely you, maybe you'll see a UFC fighter, or you'll see a football team, or just expressions of strength and power. But for God, this idea of, of strength and power was, was encapsulated in the idea of meekness, the idea of, of gentleness. You know, Jesus was a powerful man, really the Son of God and, and divine, but He was a man under control, in power power under control, and we see this, and that's described as meekness. Um, John gives us this picture, that really a, a paramount picture of, of Jesus' meekness in, in John 13. Now, the situation is that he is about to be betrayed. They're at uh, the Last Supper, and and he's speaking to the disciples. He knows that he's about to be betrayed. And and if I knew that I was about to be betrayed, and, and I was around my, my fellow Disciples, and and there was my enemy right here. I think, for me, strength would look like destroying my enemy. But what does what does Jesus do? It says in John chapter 13, verses 1 and following. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, the disciples, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, uh, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Right? Jesus was not He was not confused. He was not insecure. He. This wasn't an, an expression of, of defeat. He knew who he was. He rose from supper and he laid aside his hour garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now this, this act was an act for the lowest of low. Uh, so much so that there was there was literature that said, uh, a Jewish servant shouldn't do this. Get a servant, get a foreign servant to this to do this, because uh, washing people's feet was the dirtiest of deeds. And it says he um, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What am I what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Um, And he goes on and, and he says in verse 12, When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I've done to you. So Paul keys in on that example, that example of meekness. There was no question in that moment of who was in charge. None of the disciples were thinking, "Mm, maybe Jesus isn't in charge. There was no question of of his authority and his power in that moment. Jesus was in charge, but he was expressing his power, his strength through the context of meekness. And so Paul says in verse 1, I myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, my question is, family, when you enter into conflict, how do you enter in? Do you jump in with guns blazing? You know, when you, when you have a, an argument with a coworker, is your first inclination to, to get the argument right, to, to show them where they're wrong and, and to kind of put their nose in it? Or is your, or is your first inclination to, to beg and to entreat out of meekness and gentleness, to control your strength in such a way that Christ might be glorified? This is the kind of strength under control that God calls us to. When we're faced with conflict, we must go about that conflict in a Christ-like meekness. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't engage. And and we really do see that that Paul is happy to engage his opponents. We we go on to see in verses 3 through 6, he says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Now, that implies that he understands that they are waging war. And family, we are waging war. Now, we're not waging war against people. We're not waging a war against um, companies, per se. We're waging a war, and he goes on to talk about it, against powers and, and rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. against Really, against the enemy. And and, and it says in Ephesians, and we'll, we'll see that in just a second, that, that we don't fight against, against flesh and blood, but against these rulers that try to set themselves up against God. So, the world... Fights in one way, but we fight in another. He says in verse 3, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The world wages war according to the flesh. The world says, I'm going to be the best, I'm going to be the smartest, I'm going to be the cleanest, I'm going to be the most charismatic, and I'm going to destroy my opponents. But Jesus says, I'm going to walk in meekness, I'm going to walk in gentleness. And Paul says, I'm going to entreat, I'm going to beg, I'm going to ask, please change your attitude, repent, turn. There's there's a pleading, there's a love, there's a a completely different um, atmosphere to the way that we wage war. Um, But Paul describes that we do wage war. The warfare of the world relies on our own abilities. You know, the, the, the opponents of Christ looked, or sorry, the opponents of Paul looked at Paul and thought, there's not a lot about Paul that's impressive. And maybe that's true. But for Paul, that was the point. It wasn't Paul... That Paul was trying to promote it was Jesus that Paul was trying to promote that's why he says when I came to you I didn't come and try to put myself on a on a pedestal I tried to know nothing but Christ and him crucified I only wanted to know Christ family when people look at you do they see how awesome you are or do they see how awesome Christ is he only wanted people to see Christ and he wages war In this way, he says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have power, divine power to destroy destroy, uh, strongholds. They have the power that stands against everything that that puts itself up against uh, the knowledge of God. In verse five, he says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Family, as a side note. God's knowledge, it's pretty vast, right? God knows everything. All truth is God's truth. And, and so anything that, that stands against God's knowledge is by definition a lie. So when he's talking about these strongholds that we, we stand against, the, it's really these beliefs and these, these um, lies or these um, misrepresentations of reality that we fight against. Any statement or belief that does not align with God's knowledge um, in, as revealed in Scripture is a lie. And it's, it's a stronghold against, against which we stand. So what does it look like for us to stand against these things? In Ephesians, another book that, that Paul wrote, he goes into detail to talk about uh, these weapons that we fight with. He goes and he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following, he says, "Finally, brothers, or, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Notice he's, he's drawing the line. It's not between you and your coworker or you and your family member or you versus um, you know, that, that guy who cut you off on 28. It's, it's, it's us versus the devil. And he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, family, when we fight against lies, when we fight against, um, when we war, we're warring against these things. This is why Jesus can say, love your enemy, because our, our fight is not against our human enemy. Our fight is against these these. Powers that have really set themselves, not just up against us, but up against God himself. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about how God has put Christ far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Right When Jesus died on the cross, the reason this gospel message is our weapon, as we're going to see in chapter 6, but the reason this, this gospel message is our power is because when Jesus was victorious over sin, Satan, and the grave, God the Father put him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but of the age to come and that's in chapter 2 of Ephesians. So in chapter 6 he says, "This is how we are to wage war. Take up the whole armor of God," it says in verse 13, "that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done so to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness" and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god now family this may when you read out this list it may sound like very disparate things that we're putting together but these are all aspects of the gospel right the truth is what binds us to what god has done in history Right? The gospel is gospel truth, and we're believing that gospel truth. The breastplate of righteousness is given to us as a result of Christ's righteousness. Really, it's Christ's breastplate of righteousness. We stand and we wear the righteousness of Christ. Right, The helmet of our salvation, very clearly, it's the salvation that's received as a result of faith in the gospel. The shield of faith, it protects us from these lies because we understand and we believe and we stand in the truth. And the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, and we could believe that in, in general terms. It's it's really God's word as revealed in all of Scripture. But all of Scripture is also pointing towards this idea of this gospel message. And so when we stand in faith, when we stand against these rulers, authorities, powers, dominions, when we war well, what we're doing is we're holding tightly to the gospel. And we're believing the gospel as it relates to how I how I parent. We're believing the gospel as it relates to how I live my, my marriage. We're believing the gospel as it relates to how I uh, live out my employment. We bel- we're, bel- we're holding on to the gospel and believing the gospel as we think about our, our past and, and the things that people have done to hurt us and, and break us. When we think about forgiveness, we're holding on to the gospel which says that if God can forgive me, a sinner, that I can forgive others. We're believing the gospel when we're assaulted with a sense of anger over injustice that says, you know, we need uh, vengeance now. It, it, the gospel says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and we see a God who is both merciful and also just. A God that we can trust t- to avenge. Ephesians 6 gives us a, 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 a picture of the, the war that we're to wage and the means by which we're to do so with the, the gospel message. So Paul is speaking to his opponents and he's saying, guys, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they've got divine power to destroy strongholds. And in fact, in Romans chapter 1, really the the thesis of the whole letter of Romans, he says in chapter 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this good news about The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for my sins in my place. Because that truth, believed and received, is the power of God for salvation. The enemies of Paul had begun to erect some lies, these towers of lies, to try and ensnare the the Corinthian church. And We may not know exactly the nature of these lies, but we do see from Paul's letters that, that they were trying to present an alternative gospel. And, and you and I, we don't necessarily live in Corinth and, and maybe we don't struggle with the same things they struggled with, but every day we're faced with alternative gospel messages, alternative ways to pursue salvation, alternative things to believe with the hopes that they will make us better and more right and more perfect. Whether it's trusting in your, your family members, trusting in uh, your spouse to make your life perfect, trusting in money or your job to make your life perfect, heck, trusting in your health to make your life perfect. I mean, we are being confronted with some real challenges in, in this time. And at the same time, we're given the opportunity to look to the gospel and remember, no, 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 these are all alternatives. And, and, and an alternative to the gospel is really an anti-gospel. And he says, no, we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God. So family, what, what strongholds have been built up in your life. What lives have you believed that go counter to the freedom and the salvation that are presented in the gospel? And and some of you I, I think right now there are things that are coming to mind. You know, maybe things that your your parents said when you were a child, things that a coach said, or or something that a spouse has said to you, or things that you saw on the on the internet or or things that you've you've read about or or things that you've pursued. And these are things that you've you've latched on to, and maybe you wouldn't call it a gospel, but functionally You're pursuing that thing to save you, to give you life, to give you wholeness, to give you health. These things are strongholds and they're things that we have to take the gospel to and say, you know what, I can't trust in this. I can't trust this to save me. I have to trust the one who can actually save me. And this is not a bad thing, this is a good thing. Because all of these things... Many of them can be good. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be married. It's a wonderful thing to have family and have children and have a, you know, a, a job that provides for our needs. But when these good things become ultimate things, they, they become out of order and they, they really have the potential to destroy our lives. But if we're able to humble these things before God and put God in the right place as the Lord of our life, put the gospel in the right place as the foundation of our life, to really war against these strongholds and not allow these lies to become strongholds in our life. When we can do that, we can walk in freedom. Because, uh, again, Paul says a lot of things in the New Testament, and he says, you know, it's for freedom's sake that we've been made free. God wants us to be free of these strongholds, but, but it only happens as we hold on and believe what he has said and done in the gospel. So what have you believed that you need to repent of? What have you believed that you need to repent of? You know, have you said, I can never forgive so-and-so because, you know, of what they did to me? I can never get beyond this thing because of what God uh, ha- has allowed to happen in my life. I can never let go of this one thing because of, of what it, it, it means to my family and my life. What are those things that are, that are holding you back? And I would say, apply the gospel. Don't believe the lie. Trust in God. Family, um, as, as we close, to be a Christian is to believe the gospel. I'll say it again. To be, to be a Christian is to believe the gospel. We talked about this a few weeks back, that, that Christianity is not complicated. You know, We're following Jesus. That's another way of believing the gospel, is we're following Jesus. When we live this Christian life, we don't just start by following Jesus and moving on to bigger and better things. No, we carry Jesus with us. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. He indwells us because we need him at all times. We don't leave the gospel message and move on to bigger and better things. We go deeper into the gospel and find out how Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection has application for how I parent, for how I forgive, for how I love for how I spend my money, for how I respond in a crisis. The gospel speaks to all of these things because it demands us to trust Him in all of these, all of these things. So, to, to close, what things in your life draw you away from believing that God loves you and He's shown His, life, his love through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What things in your life draw you away from treasuring God? What beliefs or statements call into question a full-fledged faith in the God of the gospel? These are the things that you need to today take up the sword of the Spirit against, stand in faith, and believe the gospel for your life in order to break these things down. Family, I love you. God is good. God is great. We can trust Him. He is with us. And His gospel will carry us to the end. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you do love us, that you've given us through your gospel message to to encourage, to transform, to shape, to save us. I thank you that you've not left us without direction, without encouragement in your word. We thank you, Lord, for Paul, who really, he presented a way of living that allows us to walk, not according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit, walk in the truth of the gospel, and God, I pray that right now, each and every person who's listening would be able to apply the truth of the gospel to their lives. That these functional saviors would be revealed to them and that we'd be able to repent, turn away from those things and turn to Jesus Christ. And family, if if you're feeling a sense of need to respond to this message, if you feel like, you know, I, I really do want to trust in Jesus. I, I really do want to respond to what he's doing. Just pray this with me god i I want to turn away from these other things that i've trusted in I want to turn away from everything that I know to be sin or disobedience towards God and I want to turn to you and trust in you Jesus Christ to be my Lord the one who is uh, master of my life and savior the one who um, has saved me and I want to live my life from here to the end in response to your God if you prayed that prayer and you responded in faith may, let me encourage you don't let this be a moment that that you don't you, don't, uh, you walk away from unchanged. Yeah, reach out to us. Now, normally we would say, come on down to the altar. There is no altar at this point. So uh, go ahead and email us, uh, sterling at gracecub.org. Let us know. Or if you don't feel comfortable emailing a, a random person, you can email me, ebarns at gracecub.org. Um, you can email one of our staff people on, on the website. But reach out and, and we would love uh, to continue to walk this out with you. God loves you, family. And I love you, and I'm thankful to be able to spend some time with you. God bless you.